RadioInfluence.com. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. You should know me by now, but if you don't, my name is Vincent Hill, your host, coming to you, of course, from Atlanta, Georgia, as I do each and every Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern, exclusively from my friends at RadioInfluence.com and available for downloads on iTunes. Hey, you can catch us on Stitcher Radio as well. We're all over the place. It's Beyond the Badge. If this is your first time listening to this show, Beyond the Badge gives you all the top police cases from across this country talked about from a police point of view. Hey, and I'm very unbiased. I'm not one-sided with this whole police thing because I used to be a cop. I'm very unbiased, but I give you the real and the raw of what's going on in these police cases that you hear about every day, every week, every month in the news, from Black Lives Matter to excessive use of force to anything I talk about it here on Beyond the Badge. Hey, there's a lot going on in the world of policing, in the world of crime, in the world of politics that I want to get into on this week's show. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to see the latest video that's going viral. It's all over the news. Good Morning America, CNN, local news, you name it, it's all over the place. It's a school resource officer down in San Antonio, Texas, who... Body slams a 12-year-old Janessa Valdez to the ground, puts her in handcuffs, and takes her away. And the video, and you know how I feel about these videos that are posted on World Star, Twitter, you know, all of these social websites, it doesn't tell the actual story of the officer because it's always filmed from the point of view of the person shooting the video. It doesn't show the escalation. It doesn't show what led to the police contact. It doesn't show anything but what that person shooting the video wants you to see. This is why I'm a very huge advocate of police body cams and not because I think police are out there doing bad stuff. It's because at least police will be able to say, no, this is exactly what happened. This is what led to my contact with this person. This is what led to the escalation. This is what led to me having to use force against this person. So anyway, there's a backstory to this video and the video is very short and I'll play the audio clip of it and you can see exactly how short it is which is why I'm upset that people are already labeling this officer as excessive and you know all of this stuff because there's not much you can see in this video other than what people wanted you to see so the backstory is Janessa, uh, Jessica Valdez 12 years old 6th grade she was gonna fight some other little girl in the school of course, the school resource officer being assigned at that school to protect that school, guess what he's going to do? He's going to show up. He gets there. According to him, when he tried to restrain Miss Valdez, she began kicking him. And as an officer, someone that has done this job, I don't care if you're 12, 21, 41, 51, the minute you assault me, it's well within my legal right as a police officer, my right as a citizen to protect myself. Now, there's people that will say, well, Vince, she was only 12. That doesn't matter. 12-year-olds have killed people before. 
Twelve-year-olds have beat people up before. So it doesn't matter her age. The fact that she resisted arrest, the officer was able to articulate that he needed to use the amount of force necessary to effect the arrest. Now, she did suffer a bump on her head, and that's why people are saying, oh, it was excessive. It was concrete. He didn't have to slam her on the concrete. Well, remember, I've always said a hundred times, split-second decision. That officer at that particular second when he was being assaulted, according to his statement, wasn't thinking, this is concrete, this is a female, I shouldn't do this. He was thinking, I have this individual who was already combative, who is now being combative with me, who is resisting arrest, who is not following my commands, and I have to use the amount of force necessary to effect the arrest. So let's listen to this audio from this video, and then let's talk about it. Now, if my math is correct, I counted five seconds of audio from that video clip, which means society, the public, the media, has seen five seconds of something that I'm sure took more than five seconds to escalate into a situation. So, for anyone to say that this officer was wrong for what he did, wrong in his actions without seeing the entire point of contact to soft verbal commands to escalation, you have a misconception of what really happened because you cannot tell a story in the five seconds it took for that audio clip to occur. You can't do it. And Miss Valdez can't tell me I wasn't going to do anything. Well, from what I saw in that little five seconds, you were actively resisting the officer's commands. Now, am I justifying that a little 90-pound little girl got a knot, a knot on her head? No, but as a rational person who has done that job, I can actually say I understand the officer's actions in that particular situation. But what upsets me about this whole thing is that, yeah, it hit World Star and went viral, and now the family's on CNN, and the officer whose name they gave out is facing suspension, and he's only been on the job for a year. It upsets me that people are saying, yes, the officer was dead wrong, when they don't know what exactly happened. They don't know exactly what happened. All they know is they see this little girl get lifted up in the air and slammed to the ground. A technique that I've done a hundred times. I've picked people up, I've slammed them to the ground. When they resist arrest, the law gives me that authority to do that, to use the amount of force necessary to effect the arrest. Now, I've read the use of force continuum a few times in my career and after my career. There is nothing in the use of force continuum that says, well, if the person is 12 years old, and if the person is a female, and if the person is 90 pounds, don't use force. I don't recall that ever being anywhere in the use of force. It does tell me that I can use the amount of force necessary. It does tell me what actions I can take based on the suspect's actions, up to and including deadly force. But it doesn't say that Officer Vince Hill, if the suspect is a female, and if she looks like this, don't use force. Because out of the many, many, many fights I got into when I was on the streets of Nashville, I can assure you there were some females that looked the size of Jessica Valdez that wanted to fight me like they were a UFC fighter, like they were Ronda Rousey. So just because of the fact that she was a female 
has nothing to do with the fact that she couldn't resist arrest or she didn't need use of force used against her to affect this officer's arrest. So for those of you that say this officer was wrong, I urge you to find out what really goes on. I can't tell you how many times I have to say this society needs to understand what the use of force is, what it allows officers to do, and then you decide if, oh, that officer was so wrong because he slammed this pretty little girl to the ground. Well, a pretty little girl kicked and smacked at me a lot of times that I had to eventually body slam her and take her down to the ground. And do you think I was worried if someone had any cell phone video? No, I was not. What I was worried about, if I don't detain and control the suspect, she is going to cause physical harm to me. That was my only concern. Had nothing to do with the fact that she was a female. And speaking of females, of course, the Clintons are back in the news. You have Hillary Clinton, the Democratic presidential hopeful. For all intents and purposes, she's in the lead over Senator Bernie Sanders. She was in Brooklyn this past week talking about, of course, police reform and ending the racial profiling among law enforcement agencies. And, you know, of course, she was in front of thousands and thousands of African-American churchgoers in Brooklyn. And she talked about how, you know, no one should have to face the loss of a beloved person. She talked about gun control. But she talked about everything that those 3,000 African-American people inside that church wanted to hear. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. She demonizes police. And it's not because that she thinks that police are just that bad for the black community. History has shown that the Clintons have never really been supporters of police. They've been supporters of their political agenda. So she said all of this good stuff, or shall we say bad stuff, about police and how police just racial profile everyone, and it's rampant in this country. But what have I said time and time and time and time and time again? Color does not bring the police. Crime brings police to neighborhoods. If there's no crime in a particular neighborhood, guess what? The likely chances of police presence being there decreases a whole lot. No crime, no police. A lot of crime, a lot of police. It's simple math. It's simple statistics. It's simple demographics. And let's talk about profiling. Let's be honest. Profiling exists in police work. And sometimes the person that is being profiled may be of a different race than that officer. Prime example, when I was in patrol and I worked East Nashville, C detail, which is midnight shift, and I'm working the projects, James Casey Homes, which is not too far from Titan Stadium, now known as Nissan Stadium. If I were to see a car of white individuals, who I know don't live there because the population of white people that lived in James Casey Homes was less than 1%, and I see this vehicle, and they have out-of-county tags, and they're just circling the block, the police officer in me knows that they are here for narcotics activity. They're not here to visit at 2 in the morning. They're not here to sightsee. They're not Titans fans that are just out scrolling the block before the game the next day. They are in James Casey Holmes for narcotics activity. So did I just profile 
that car? Did I profile the individuals in that car? I absolutely did. Is it racial profiling because they happen to be white and I'm black? No, it's police profiling that tells me as a good officer, I know that these individuals, based on what happens in James Casey Holmes at 2 in the morning, I know these individuals are here for narcotics activity. Profiling has been around in police work for hundreds of years. It's a fact. It happens. It has to happen. Otherwise, police would never arrest anyone. So when it becomes bad is when certain groups want to say, oh, it's always the black person that is getting profiled. It's always the black person that is getting stopped. No, crime brings police, not color. And when I would stop a car of, full of white people in James Casey Holmes for a legal reason, because usually all you have to do is wait, and they're going to get nervous enough to do something that is an illegal traffic violation. But when I would stop them, and then I would find out that their driver's license is suspended, or they already have narcotics in the car, or they already have drug paraphernalia in the car, it wasn't because I wanted to stop these white people. I wanted to do police work. And the police officer in me was able to profile that if you meet this criteria, you are likely doing a crime. It had nothing to do with race. It had to do with police work. And I was in the projects. And guess what brought me there? A crime. Not that person's color. Not that they were white. They were in the projects with the intent to commit a crime. Period. So does profiling exist? It absolutely does. So for Hillary Clinton to say she's going to focus on ending racial profiling in police work. Well, good luck with that. Good luck with that. Because I've stopped my fair share of African American people in the projects or other places. Because I knew they were up to criminal activity. Not because they were black, because their actions, their furtive movement, hmm, they were driving with a suspended license, hmm, their tags were suspended, their headlight was busted. Whatever the situation was, I didn't stop them because, oh, I racially profiled this black person, and I know if I stop them, there's a chance that they're going to be doing something wrong. I already had a reason to stop them well before I stopped them. It's called police work profiling it's police profiling it's not racial profiling it's police profiling now are there officers out there that just look for african-american people to stop i'm sure there are i'd be foolish to say there wasn't and that goes on both sides white officers and black officers but 99.9 percent .9 of the police officers that are profiling quote unquote it's not based on race it's based on the instinct that good police officers get that have done the job that know what goes on in the streets that know when someone is up to no good it's police profiling it will never end so good luck Hillary Clinton now to the other Clinton Bill Clinton he's been in the news lately he apparently got into it with some Black Lives Matter protesters at a rally where he was, of course, speaking on behalf of his wife. And obviously the two aren't seeing eye to eye because Bill Clinton uh, kind of went uh, off on this Black Lives 
Black Lives Matter uh, supporter here in the audience. And let me play that audio for you. I don't know how you would characterize the gang leaders who got 13-year-old kids hopped up on crack and sent them out onto the street to murder other African-American children. Maybe you thought they were good citizens. She didn't. She didn't. You are defending the people who kill the lives you say matter. Tell the truth. Wow, did you hear that? He told this Black Lives Matter supporter, you're defending the lives of the people who kill the lives of the people you say matter. And when I, I heard this, I thought about your Freddie Grays and your Michael Browns. And we know that, you know, protests and uproar and riots and everything else sparked because of the deaths of Michael Brown and Freddie Gray. Two different situations. Michael Brown was shot. Freddie Gray died a few days later after a neck injury that he sustained some point during his arrest. But I remember, you know, the Black Lives Matter just getting behind these two individuals. And when I heard what Bill Clinton said, and I've never really agreed a lot with what the Clintons have had to say, I agreed 100% with Bill Clinton because Freddie Gray is a guy that had a history of selling narcotics just like Mr. Clinton just talked about. He had a history of running from police. He had a history of fighting with police. Just the week before he ran from police, he had narcotics on him. But the Black Lives Matter movement and the Al Sharptons and the Benjamin Crumps are all behind that this little black boy, this black man in Baltimore, shouldn't have died. Well, first of all, if you look at the trial of the first officer, William Porter, it ended in a hung jury because contrary to what Marilyn Mosby wanted to charge all these six officers with his death, truth be told, Freddie Gray died from a neck injury that he sustained well before he was in that van. Trust me on that because I've watched that video of his takedown a hundred times, nothing I haven't done 1,000 times to somebody, and they didn't die because of a neck injury. And secondly... Here's a guy that was peddling dope inside the same community that the city of Baltimore later burned down because of his death. He wasn't peddling that dope to white people. He wasn't peddling that dope to politicians. He wasn't peddling the dope to old people at a nursing home. He was peddling the dope to the same people that are now up and protesting that his life mattered. Well, when he was alive, he didn't think their lives mattered because he was selling dope to them. He was in the community committing crimes. So for you now to say his life mattered, well, if his life mattered, you would have kept him on a straight and narrow. Look at Michael Brown. His life matters all of a sudden. But here's a guy that 10 minutes before his death, he's in the store bullying a store clerk, stealing some cigarolas that he could have very well paid for. His mom's on the news. He's a good kid. You didn't have to do this. He's a great kid. He's assaulting a store clerk. The Department of Justice investigation proves he fought with the officer. But now his life matters. Why didn't it matter beforehand? So, again, I've never really agreed a lot with the Clintons. But I agree 100% with Bill Clinton that... Hey, if you want to talk Black Lives Matter, let's talk about it. 
Let's be about it. You want to talk they matter? Let's talk about the crime problem that's in the black community. Let's talk about how in Chicago, where police are such the white devils because they shot Laquan McDonald, let's talk about how that on one day, 17 people can get shot and two of those 17 dead. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about all this other stuff that no one wants to talk about other than Black Lives Matter. And you got all these politicians, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, who are de demonizing police. Let's talk about the real issue. Let's talk about, instead of Hillary Clinton talking about police reform, let's talk about crime reform. Hillary Clinton, go to Chicago and ask the people of Chicago, the same people that you're going to preach Black Lives Matter to, ask them why 17 people were shot in one day and two died. Ask them why that didn't matter. Ask them why only it matters if it's killed if someone is killed by a white police officer. Go ask them that and then come back to me. And then when you come back to me, I'll tell you the real and the raw of what's really going on. So you can preach your police reform until you're blue in the face, but until you start preaching crime reform, until you start realizing what these police officers have to put up with on a daily basis, then you're just wasting breath. You're wasting time because nothing is going to change until you start talking about that. Now, speaking of Freddie Gray, of course, April 24th is the one-year anniversary of his death by murder, according to Marilyn Mosby and the people of Baltimore. And, of course, now they're planning a peace march, and they want justice for Freddie Gray. Well, it's great to march. I'm all for it, as long as it's peaceful. And I believe it'll be peaceful, but I would really love to be in Baltimore. If I could fly down to Baltimore and be there and speak out on it, I'd probably get booed out of the building. But I'd really love to be in Baltimore to see what is going to turn out because of this this peace march and you know I just don't understand what the agenda is there in Baltimore to have this peace march and here's a city that even after Freddie Gray even after the riots you know I'd listen to the police scanners in Baltimore almost on a daily basis and when I was listening over the weekend I can't tell you how many times I heard I got a male black running from me in all black. I got a male black who just assaulted someone. I've got a male black who is on the corner selling drugs. I've got a male black who just did this. I got a male black who just did that. And I thought about Freddie Gray and I'm like, wow, Baltimore still dealing with the same things they were dealing with a year ago. The police are still dealing with the same things they were dealing with a year ago. But yet, someone's going to come back and say it's racial. But I urge you, listen to the police scanner in Baltimore. Listen to it. You can download the app on your iPhone, your iPad, your uh, whatever kind of phone you got, unless it's a BlackBerry. Listen to the police scanners and just listen to what those police go through on a daily basis. I was listening one day. True story. It was 5.30 in the afternoon. 
the dispatcher keyed up and said, we still have a person with a weapons call holding from 11.15 that morning. 11.15. That's how busy this city is. That's how busy these police officers are. So to sit here and talk about a peace march because of the death of Freddie Gray, that city doesn't even have any peace. It doesn't have peace when I hear, I got one running, send me some cars. Oh, someone kicked in the door, they're armed with a knife. This is the stuff that Baltimore police are dealing with all day, every day. All day, every day. So to pre preach a peace march because of the death of Freddie Gray, a guy that was one of those number ones that on that scanner police were chasing, dressed in all black, selling narcotics, running away on his bike, fighting with officers. There's no peace in Baltimore. So you want to preach peace? I say preach nonviolence. Preach crime control. Preach jobs. Preach education. Preach not acting like an idiot. Don't preach that Freddie Gray, who was a dope dealer, shouldn't have died. Although the police really had no intentions of killing him. They were just doing his job. And they didn't actually kill him. He died from a neck injury. Don't preach that he didn't deserve to die. What you should have been preaching is why was he selling narcotics in the community? I'm telling you, until this country, until communities understand that police are not the bad guy, that police only react to what they're called to react to. If you want police out of your communities, if you want police to stop having to use force, we need to teach our children in this country how to deal with police, how to respond appropriately to police, and more importantly, we need to teach our children from a very young age, hey, don't do crime, because then you won't have to deal with police. Hmm. You won't have to deal with police. There's an interesting concept. You don't do crime, you don't deal with police. Imagine that, people. Imagine that. So Ferguson is back in the news, and not for a riot, or not for... Michael Brown or anything like that. So, uh, Miami Police Major Darish Mosh has been named the new head of the Ferguson Police Department there in Ferguson, Missouri, where Michael Brown died. Of course, Delrish is African American, and I believe the city, the city leaders there in Ferguson are under this misconception that if we put a black face in charge of the police department, then the black community will respect police. Well, speaking from someone that has done this job as a black man, I assure you that is furthest from the truth. Because criminals are not going to care if it's a black man, a Chinese man, Middle Eastern man, an alien man, whatever kind of man in charge of the police department they're going to continue their criminal activity. And they're not going to respect police. We've seen it time and time again. 
what major cities have had black police chiefs and the crime rate and the shooting rate and everything else in the black community is still high. Atlanta, Los Angeles. I can go on and on and on about cities that have had black police chiefs because of that exact reason because oh we need to have a person that looks like the community they're serving in charge of that community. No. Putting a black face in a city like Ferguson where there's a hundred Michael Browns running around is not going to change the crime stats there. It's not going to change the way in police actually do their jobs because nothing will ever take precedence of the use of force. So if an officer like Officer Wilson has to encounter another Michael Brown and the situation is the same, the outcome will probably be the same. That officer's not going to say, oh, oh, I got a black pol police chief now. I better not do this because I might get in trouble. No, that officer is going to react the way his training allows him to react, the way the law allows him to react, and the way that split-second decision tells him to react. It's not going to be because Mr. Chief Moss is going to say, well, if you do that to a black boy or to a black woman, to a black man, you're going to get fired or you're going to get reprimanded or you're going to get this. No, it's going to be the officer had a decision. The officer had a split-second decision. The individual was resisting arrest. The officer had to use force. The individual was running from the police. The officer gave chase, and he tackled them, and they suffered a little bump on the head. Policing will not change just because you put a black face in a black community. Crime will not change because you put a black face in a black community. How many times do I have to preach crime control? We can talk about police reform until we're blue in the face. We can talk about putting black leaders in charge of police departments until we're blue in the face. But until we talk about crime, nothing will change. So I do wish Chief Moss the best of luck down in Ferguson. I think it's a great accomplishment that he's going from major to chief of police. I wish him well. But I don't think that putting him there is going to change anything other than the city of Ferguson, who was sued by the Department of Justice, can now say, well, look, we have a black face in the black community. Does anybody not realize that this is nothing more than politics? That's all it is. Hmm. Michael Brown, the Department of Justice. Oh, the Department of Justice confirmed what the officer says. Oh, well, the Department of Justice is going to sue us anyway. Oh, I know. Let's fix it. Let's put a black face in the black community. It's politics. It's not policing. It's politics. And when you mix the two, you get bad results. You can't mix the two peas together, politics and policing, and get good results. You need to let police be police and let politicians be politicians. And one thing politicians are really good at are statistics. They love to throw numbers up and talk about numbers and numbers and numbers. Well, since I mentioned Michael Brown, here's a statistic that I think everyone should know since 
The claim was Michael Brown was unarmed and unarmed suspects are not dangerous, which I've proven wrong time and time again. But since the year 2000, 57, 57, after 56, 57 police officers have been fatally shot by quote-unquote unarmed suspects. That means the unarmed individual, i.e. Michael Brown, was able to forcefully take the officer's gun and shoot them because they fought the officer, they got the best of the officer, and they were able to take the officer's gun and shoot them. 57. So for all of those that say, oh, an unarmed suspect is not a threat, he shouldn't be treated this way, he shouldn't be treated that way, go ask these 57 families how they feel about an unarmed suspect, and I guarantee you they will tell you to go shove it right up your rear end about a suspect being unarmed and not being a threat. Which brings me to my roll call. So go ask the wife of Officer David Smith, who was an upstate Johnson City, New York police officer, shot multiple times by his own gun after a man he was investigating for a disturbance was able to overpower him, take the officer's service weapon, and shoot him multiple times. He served the department for 18 years. He had an 11-year-old son and a wife. And this was back in 2014. So, Godspeed to him. Godspeed to his family. My prayers, I thank him for his service. But I want you to understand that this is real. Police are a target just as much as anybody is a target. They do their jobs every day. They run to danger when people run away. They should be commended. They should be appreciated. They shouldn't be demonized by politicians that are running for president. They shouldn't be demonized by people who say, oh, Freddie Gray shouldn't have died, although he was selling dope, although he used to fight with police, although he was running from police, although he had a history of crimes. Police do their jobs all day every day so that people and communities can even have the freedom to move around the way they do. I love my police officers. I love my brothers and sisters. I appreciate them. I'm proud I served. I thank you for listening. I will see you next week, 10 o'clock, 8 p.m. Eastern, exclusively on RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill Sr. That's Vincent Hill SR. This has been Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill on Radio Influence. Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. If you're a serious athlete, a weekend warrior, parent, or coach, join us each week as we investigate the latest trends and research coming out of the sport performance world. We'll visit with top athletes, coaches, and sports scientists to keep you on the cutting edge and to find out what it truly takes to achieve human maximum performance. You can visit us online at crushperformance.com and Crush Performance Radio with me, Jeff Kershell, can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and at Radio Influence.